0: Good morning. Uh, Welcome back. Uh, I'm really glad that you guys are back. Um, I hope everyone had a Merry Christmas, uh, a great New Year, and that you're ready for a great semester. Uh, It's my privilege this morning to welcome our speaker, uh, Pastor Bob Flayhart. Uh, Bob is a Pennsylvania native that bleeds Penn State blue. There it is. He he is married to his wife, Lori, they have three children, and he currently serves as the senior pastor of Oak Mountain Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama, where he has been for 29 years, a church that uh, he and his wife planted. Um, This is his first time to Covenant College, and I hope that it is not the last. If you would please give a warm Scots welcome to Pastor Bob Flayhart. It is great to be here. Um, I have a a special place in my heart for the campus and for college ministry. And so whenever I have an opportunity to visit a college campus, whether it be Auburn, uh, War Eagle, Alabama, that's uh, Roll Tide. See, I can say both, since I'm from Penn State, because I really don't care about Alabama or Auburn. (laughs) right? Or Birmingham Southern, uh, any of the campuses. I love speaking to college students, because my life was radically changed 36 years ago, almost to the day, today. I was a sophomore at Penn State. I didn't grow up in a church home. And uh, I still had a God, however. It was basketball. I still shoot about 200 three-pointers every other day. As you can tell, I'm a lefty. I love hoops. That was my God. Until somebody used actually basketball there was a group of Christian athletes playing Penn State and they shared the gospel in front of me and I said I've never heard this before in my entire life a guy came into my fraternity house at Penn State went through a little yellow booklet called the four spiritual laws and I said you know that sounds like something I want to do my life radically changed my fraternity brothers, I was living with 75 other men, they saw my life changing, they said, what's going on? I said, I don't know, but it all started with somebody who read me this little yellow booklet. Now, I didn't even know it was on the other page, but I said, do you want me to read it to you? So I literally read them a gospel tract, and guys in my fraternity just started coming to Christ. The guy who led me to Christ was taking me through some discipleship materials and after he fainted, when he found out that guys in my fraternity were coming to Christ, he said, why don't you go through with them what I'm doing with you? And that was my first exposure to discipleship. And uh, the life-changing power of community transforming one another's lives. I I tell people, um, I could actually give up the preaching ministry and, and simply be a discipler. Uh, I, I consider myself as, as a disciple who just happens to be a pastor because that's what changes lives. So let me encourage you if you're not involved in a small group, if you're not involved in, in transformative community, make that a priority. And after you leave this place and get involved in churches, uh, make sure that you get involved in mentoring and discipleship. Well, what I didn't tell you is after the initial wow of being converted, I. Uh, I went into a seven-year dark night of the soul. Now, if you all know Winnie the Pooh, uh, I'm a tigger, okay? I bounce off walls. Um, That's why the worst thing this place could have done to me would be to say, you have to stand behind a pulpit. My head would explode, okay? I've got to be moving around. I've got energy. I'm always an up kind of person. And so this dark night of the soul thing was really weird for me. And what I mean by that is... I had never asked any questions at all about life before I was converted. I mean, all I did was go to school, try to get good grades, and play basketball four or five hours a day. That's all I did with my life. And now I'm a Christian. And what happened was I started having philosophical, epistemological questions. How do I know that this is true? how do I know Jesus really lived? How do I know the Bible is the Word of God? How do I know there even is a God? And so I was in the thick of ministry and and actually have an impact. And yet, as soon as I was by myself, there was like a bully in my brain shouting out to me, there is no God, you don't believe this. How do you know this stuff is true? And I think I would have ended up in a rubber room. Matter of fact, I even told that to my wife. And uh, this is where the grace of God began breaking into my soul. Laurie looked at me, she says, "Bob, if they move you into a rubber room, have no fear. I'll move in there with you." <laughs> the girls always do that. Guys, you'll get it in a few years and and i I really began to understand that some of the reasons why I was going through this dark night of the soul is I was really in this performance oriented Christianity. Uh, everything I'd always done in my life, I'd done through hard work and discipline. Um, I just tried harder. And I was learning that in the Christian life, trying harder wasn't working. And, and I, I didn't know what to do, because everything, whenever it didn't work, we'll just try harder. Well, I kept on doing that. I was trying harder. I was trying harder. I was trying harder. And I felt like a complete and utter failure and when you feel like a failure, eventually you're just going to say, well, maybe it's not true. Like, if you're if you can't, if you're not good at the game, just quit the game. And I thought, well, maybe this isn't true. And a guy named Francis Schaefer ended up saving my faith. Uh, I read Schaefer and he had some some really good reasons to believe. And my faith started getting stronger. The dark night of the soul started going away. And I found myself reading more and more Schaefer. And what was interesting is I read... A book called True Spirituality, which is a great book, by the way. Uh, Francis Schaefer actually shares that as a pastor, he had gotten to the place where he went through the darkness of the soul that I went through. As a pastor, he began to think, what if this isn't true? How do I know this is true? And, and really, what caused his darkness of the soul was similar to mine. He said, What the Bible says my life is supposed to look like, my life doesn't look like. Do you ever struggle with that? What the Bible says your life is supposed to look like as a Christian? Your life doesn't look like? And, and, it, and it upset Schaefer's soul so much that he said, maybe this isn't true. So he said he, he walked into the Alps. Wouldn't that be nice if you had a dark night of the soul? You get to walk around in the Alps. And he read the Bible. And, and this is what he said. This is in the introduction to true spirituality. He said, I soon learned that with all the things I'd heard since becoming a Christian, I had heard nothing of the present value of the blood of Christ for my daily life. Seeing this, the sun came out, the song came, and Labrie was born. Labrie was his study center that he had for skeptics and seekers, seekers and searchers from all over the world, and I began to realize that I, too, since becoming a Christian, didn't know what the present value of the blood of Christ for my daily life meant. So I began to study, and my my dissertation uh, from Covenant Seminary is actually on grace-driven discipleship. And I began to understand that in order to live the Christian life, in order to experience the fullness of the Spirit, in order to abide in Christ, we as Christians need to dance. See, there's different kinds of dancers. By the way, you all dance. Everybody here, you dance. I tell my church, don't tell the Baptists that. But honestly, we all dance. You're dancing throughout the day. And I found that there's there's three kinds of dancers in the church. Okay? First of all, they're bunny hoppers. Bunny hop is a one-step dance. I was in Japan on a mission trip, and there was this video of a wedding, and they were doing the buddy hop. You know, you hop, hop, hop. And, and what the bunny hoppers do is they reduce the Christian life to one element. You know what the typical covenant family or evangelical Christian does for the Christian life? What I did try harder. That, that's the bunny hop of most evangelicals. Try harder! Dig deep! Pull yourself by your bootstraps. Fight, fight, fight with all your might. Get her done. Okay? Now, does the Bible call us to effort? Of course it does. But but that's not the whole Christian life. Now, there's other people on the other extreme, their bunny hop is surrender. You're trying too hard. Surrender, man. Let go, let God. Rest. It's like, just wait and somehow you'll be magically zapped by the Holy Spirit and you'll just start living the Christian life. Well, d- does the Bible talk about rest? Well, yeah. Isaiah 30 verse 15, and repentance and rest is your salvation and quiet and trust is your strength. So sure the Bible says that, but that's not the whole Christian life. Other bunny hoppers say what you need to do for the Christian life to work, you need to confess more. You just need to repent more. If you confess more, You'd be cleansed, and the Christian life would work. Now, does the Bible call us to repentance? Of course it does. So there are elements of truth to the bunny hop, but it's, it's not complete. Then There's a whole other set of evangelicals, Bible-believing Christians, and they're involved in the other kind of dance. I call it the Texas two-step. Okay? The most common Texas two-step, if you know what the Texas two-step is, you can video it on YouTube and see what it looks like. But, but the most common Texas two-step is confess and try harder. That's what I found most of the people that I work with, that's what they do. You're walking along, you blow it, you feel guilty, you confess, you promise never to do it again, and you try really hard to not do it again. The problem with that is there's no Jesus in that. Just just confess, try harder next time not to do it. There's no Jesus. Now, there's another variation of the Texas two-step that is actually closest to the biblical dance, and that's repent and believe, okay? Repent of your sin and rest afresh in the good news of the gospel of grace. Now, that's the closest dance. It's still, however, not complete. It's not complete because there are a whole host of commands in the Bible that we're called to follow, We are called to make choices to say no to godlessness and yes to righteousness. And so the Texas two-step is incomplete as well. So here's what I've come up with, a thing we call the gospel waltz. I I hope you'll always remember this. It may not be something, you can use your own words, but, but this is something we found people can really hang on to. The gospel waltz. You know what a waltz is, right? Tchaikovsky, Strauss, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. The waltz is a three-step dance. The way we experience the supernatural power of grace is through the three-step dance of repent, believe, fight. Repent, believe, fight. Repent, believe, fight. Now, I could get this from almost any single passage of Scripture, but I'm going to take it this morning from Numbers chapter 21. By the way, I hate snakes. And, and God has used a passage on snakes to change my life, okay? Okay. Numbers 21, if you don't know the the passage, it's all about snakes. Let me read it to you. Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food, no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole and if a serpent bit anyone he would look at the bronze serpent and live. The first step of the waltz is glance at your sin and repent. All Christian change Begins with the admission that we don't have it together. One of the things I am so concerned about with modern discipleship methodologies is we're actually, in many of them, attempting to disciple people into competency, into skills. No, <laughs> Jesus disciples us into brokenness, into dependency, not independency. And spiritual change begins with acknowledgement of need. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. The the Holy Spirit flows downhill to the Christian humbled by his or her sin. Now, I know we could theologically debate, does change begin with repentance or with faith? Well, let me tell you what. I'll go with Jesus on this one, tongue-in-cheek there. Mark 1, verse 15, the first word of the gospel is repent. And believe the gospel, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The first beatitude deals with repentance. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who acknowledge they don't have it together. See, one of my problems as a new Christian was I thought I was supposed to have it together. And you're here this morning and you probably think the Christian life means you have it together. That's not what the Christian life means. The Christian life means that we are deeply, desperately broken people. Wrestling with sin to the day we die. We've been bitten by the venom of sin. And we need to acknowledge we have sinned. That's what the people did. That's the first thing they did. They said, we have sinned. When they said we have sinned, then God said, make the bronze serpent. Luther, 500th anniversary of the Reformation this year. Really cool. 2017, 15, 17. Luther, 95 theses, sparked the Reformation. First thesis, when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ called us to repentance, he was setting the course for the entire Christian life. Repentance isn't what bad Christians do. Repentance is the normal Christian life. See, the reason why so many of us engage in self-reformation, in self-sufficiency, is because we really don't think we're that broken. See, what we do is we feel guilty about our brokenness, but we think we're only broken enough that if I try really hard, I won't be broken anymore. We're not to the point in our brokenness where we realize, I can't fix myself. Trying harder is not going to happen. And you go to God in utter desperation. You're poor in spirit. Oh God, I have sinned because I'm a sinner. Now, if you need some help recognizing your sin, maybe even exercise. The exercise I call the tongue exercise. I didn't come up with this. It's called the tongue exercise. So the, 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 the mouth, Jesus says in Matthew 12, simply is an overflow of the heart. Listen to your words. Okay, so here's the, here's the assignment for the next 24 hours. Hold each other accountable on this, will you please? Next 24 hours. Do not complain. Do not grumble. Do not boast. Do not exaggerate. Do not criticize. Do not tear down. And on the other hand, oh by the way, don't blame, shift, don't excuse, make, don't defend yourself. On the other hand, always have your words be filled with thanksgiving, praise, worship. Always build each other up. Always, always encourage one another. Now go ahead and just do that. You won't make it past lunch. And then Jesus said, it's, it's even the thoughts of our hearts, the, the intentions of our minds that, that the Lord sees. So even if you were able somehow to control your tongue, which you can't, James says, your thoughts. See, we are desperately broken people. You don't need to go out and sin to become aware of your sin. There is already, so, our hearts are like an iceberg, right? There, there's so much sin in there already. We need to be more aware of it. Change begins with repentance. We have sinned. But you can't stop in repentance. The waltz isn't a one, 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 one. Right? It's one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. What I love about the waltz is it keeps you integrated. It keeps you balanced. You won't get stuck in repentance. Repentance always leads to fresh faith. See, it says, if anyone looked at the bronze serpent, they will live. And in John 3... Jesus takes this passage, Numbers 21, and applies it to himself. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. If anyone looks upon him in faith, believes in him, he will receive eternal life. There are two elements to the belief step of the waltz, okay? So glance at your sin and repent. Gaze upon Jesus and believe. Glance at your sin and repent. Gaze upon Jesus and believe. The Puritans would say, for every glance at your sin, gaze ten times as long upon Christ. See, some of us are depressed and defeated in the Christian life because we're gazing at our sin and glancing at Christ. Glance at your sin and gaze ten times as long upon Christ. Two elements of the belief step. Appreciate and appropriate. Two A words. Okay, First part of the belief step, appreciate the finished work of Christ afresh. Every time you're aware of sin and you repent, immediately look upon Christ and appreciate His finished work for you. Appreciate your justified standing. You are right with God through union with Christ. Through union with Christ, His righteousness is your righteousness. Heidelberg Catechism number 60, if you've not looked at it lately, look at it. It says that God declares us righteous in Christ and and looks at us as if we had never sinned nor been a sinner, and as if we had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was for us. Justification, just as if I'd, just as if I'd never sinned, just as, as if I'd done everything right. That is your standing and status unchangingly before the Father because of your union with Christ, if in fact, you've trusted in Christ. So appreciate your justified standing and appreciate your adopted status. In Christ, you're adopted into the Father's family. John 17, 23, Jesus prays that we might comprehend that the Father loves us just as much as he loves Jesus. Now listen, you can't let that seep into your heart by listening to a speaker on chapel morning. You've got to reflect on that. You got to cry out for God. God, let me see, let me hear, that you really love me as much as you love Jesus Himself. Appreciate your justified standing, your adopted status. The second A word is appropriate. This is where we get to Schaefer and understanding the present value of the blood of Christ for our daily lives. At the place of your repentance, you appropriate the power of the blood and trust. Christ by his work to change you the same way you trusted Christ to save you. Now, let me give you a picture of what happens here. Schaefer was big on talking about time and space, real events, real history. Numbers 21, real desert, real people, real rocks, real sand, real grumbling, real snakes, real slithering, real bites, real venom, real death, time and space, the warp and woof of history, screaming. I was on a mission trip in Russia, and one of the Russian painters painted this on a mural as big as that whole wall. And there's snakes not just coming from the ground, but falling from heaven on the people. They're laying on people's arms, they're laying on people's legs. There's babies, there's moms, there's dads, there's teenagers. An, an amazing scene. Now, now, here's where you need to stick with me the belief step of the waltz, appropriate. Real physical venom, they're dying. They looked at the bronze serpent. That look of faith released supernatural power from heaven. And physical venom was literally neutralized. Supernatural. Folks, we have got to get back to the Christian life. It's supernatural. It it is not some moralistic, life-changing, self-help philosophy. It is supernatural. And when you look to Christ... Supernatural power is released from heaven on your behalf through the Holy Spirit. And you're able to experience supernatural, life-changing power of grace. See, grace isn't merely the message of God's unconditional love. Grace is also the message of God's supernatural, transforming power. And when you feel the bite of sin, let's say I'm impatient or critical of my wife. I go to Christ. I have sinned first step of the waltz. I don't stay stuck in my sin. I look to Christ. I appreciate my justified standing, my adopted status. I'm confident of my security and the love of the Father. And I now I, I trust Christ to apply the blood to that part of my heart that is impatient and critical. And I say, oh God, I don't need a self-help book here. I need to be supernaturally changed. And I'm going to trust you to change me the same way you saved me. In the same way that the people of Israel in the desert experience supernatural power to neutralize physical venom, I'm trusting you as I look to Jesus, John 3, to apply the blood of Christ to my soul so that I experience supernatural change. Glance at your sin and repent. Gaze upon Jesus and believe. Appreciate, appropriate. The waltz isn't a Texas two-step. It's not one, two, one, two, one, two. It's one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Repent, believe, fight. Grow in the Spirit and fight. In, in verse 9 of the text, it says, if they looked at the serpent, they would live. Folks, there's a life to live. You know, I just don't understand these intramural struggles and, and arguments we have about grace versus uh, law or gospel versus obedience there's no tension at all it's repent believe fight there is a life to live titus 2 grace trains us to say no to godlessness and yes to righteousness grace does that first peter uh, second peter uh, chapter one add to your faith see faith is primary faith in christ Add to your faith. Make every effort to add to your faith. Virtue. Moral goodness. So what does the fight step of the waltz involve? First of all, the fight step involves making every effort to say no to what God forbids. Right? It's it's not performance. Okay? This is from acceptance, not for acceptance. God's not going to love you more if you obey. He's not going to love you less if you disobey. Because your love is dependent upon your union with Christ. Otherwise, we're all in big trouble. But obedience matters. So make every effort to stop doing that which God forbids. Immorality. Drunkenness. Gossip. Worry. And by the way, all those become fodder for repentance. That's waltz music. Waltz music is playing around us all the time. Relationships, circumstances, events, it bubbles up sin. Okay? Secondly, make every effort to do what God commands. Love one another. Serve each other. I mean, the the Bible's filled with commands. Thirdly, make every effort to engage in the means of grace. Read your Bibles. Pray. Practice generosity. Get involved in community. Engage in the sacraments in the local church. Worship. Okay? There is a life to live. Repent, believe, fight. Repent, believe, fight. That's how you experience the Spirit filled life. That's how you experience supernatural transforming grace. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. Now, I'm going to close with this The waltz won't fix you. This isn't this is some key to the higher life. Okay? The waltz is simply how broken people with broken lives live in a broken world until Christ comes back. Yet, experiencing substantial healing. The waltz is simply how broken people with broken lives live in a broken world until Christ returns. Someone will come to you, Bob, the isn't working. Who told you that? That's how it works. You don't get fixed. You just keep waltzing. Last thing I'll say is this. Every one of us here, Every one of us here is heavy footed in one of the steps of the waltz. Because of your temperament, personality, background, training, church, preaching, parenting, every one of us is heavy footed in one of the steps of the waltz. I am a heavy footed fighter, right? I told you that earlier. I I rely upon discipline, hard work, trying harder. I'm heavy footed in the fight step of the waltz. If I would have coffee with any one of you, I could discern, and so could you where you're heavy-footed. Of us are heavy footed others suffer a heavy heavy footed in the repent step. okay you tend to get lost in your sin, you know, oh, woe is me? I'm such a worm okay no that's that's not the christian life you're heavy footed in the repent step. Others of us, I call this the belief step people you're 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 stuck in the hot tub of grace, say, like, Oh baby. Grace, it's so good. I'm just going to sit and soak. God loves me, and I don't need to do anything. Well, God does love you. And because He loves you, His love propels you and compels you to live the life. Get out of the hot tub. There's a repent step, there's a fight step, there's the believe step. You hear the music? One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. Repent believe, fight. Repent, believe, fight. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for these students. I pray for their semester. I pray for their classes, their professors. We pray for the administration. God, we pray that you would protect this campus, that your spirit would hover over it, and Lord, that this would become a campus of waltzers, and they'd call each other to waltz. They would call each other to repentance. They would, they would point each other to Jesus. And they would exhort one another to fight the good fight of faith. Oh God, thank you for Jesus. Forgive us for how we have looked to Jesus to save us. And we've stopped looking to Jesus to change us. God, we confess our self-reliance. We confess our self-sufficiency. Help us to learn to dance with Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.